Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the AP Laboratory. My name is Matthew Lane. I am not the lead draft and film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. That is Kent Swanson, who is currently on a boat, eating way too much food, drinking way too much alcohol, and having almost as good a time as my friend that is with me here, Craig Stout, and I are having watching Steve Spagnuolo's defense, drinking some fine whiskey here. And I'd just like to thank you guys for joining us. This is going to be our second podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed the Q&A on Twitch live earlier. But follow this man and Barley Hop on Twitter. Craig, how are you doing? I am doing wonderfully. I I love that you're you're leading the podcast right now. I I got to lead the first one. We're 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 just proving how little we need Kent. And we're about to prove it even more by talking about defense and not Patrick Mahomes for 90 minutes. I think Kent needs us because he's on a cruise and he's still tweeting at me a lot. I know. I know. He's he's been in our DMs, guys. Like he Kent, when you listen to this, go go back out on the deck of the boat, grab yourself another drink, and leave your phone in flow. your room. Hit the hair flow. Like hit the hair flow. I let the podcast off. I forgot to do my hair swipe, but yeah. you need to hit one for me. Yeah, yeah. Hit two. Hit two. One for one for me and my lack of hair. So put the phone down, go out and drink, enjoy yourself, enjoy the time with your wife. You've been spending too much time on football anyway. <laughs> no such thing. So ah. as we go telling people that there's too much time to spend on football, we're about to talk about football for the next hour yes. and a half. Hour really, and guys. a half. This will not be an hour Boy, and a half. <laughs> it's going to be that's, – that's conservative. <laughs> All right, guys, so this is going to be a little bit more of a free-flowing podcast. We don't have a script or anything here. This is going to be the introduction to what we are calling the Summer of Spags. Now, what is the Summer of Spags, you may ask, Craig? Well, I got the answers. Craig, I, we sat down. Together sometimes, sometimes not together. We watched a ton of New York Giants football. We're starting to branch out here soon to some assistant coaches, whether that's Dave Merritt, Matt House, Brendan Daly. We're going to watch all these coaches' defenses. We're going to see what they like to do. We're breaking down you know, snap counts, personnel packages, when they do this, what package, what offensive plays. They're not plays, but schemes and personnel groupings they're playing this defense against and what alignments they want to see to do something else. We're breaking this all down all summer long. We're going to, on Arrowhead Pride, we're going to have a long-running series about – 18 parts probably between the both of us all summer long that's going to be telling you all sorts of different information. We're not going to get into everything on this podcast right now. We're probably throughout the whole thing just because it's a lot of information. And we don't know it all yet because we're still looking. I mean, there's a lot to absorb here. We are definitely in the early stages of this, but we've watched enough games each, whether we've been charting or just watching games here, and we get a pretty good idea of what we're doing. So this is just kind of a kickoff to the summer of spags. A lot of people spend their summertime at the pool. Some people spend it going out to you know bonfires and having fun. No, 
we kick our families out. We hide our dogs in the closet. We sit down. We pour a big triple of whatever our favorite alcohol is at that time. Okay, maybe we're not alcoholics. I'm sorry. Maybe water. And we watch old football from 2016, 17, stuff like that, guys. But uh, no, to start I, this off. You, you put your oh, dog in the closet. That, that's what I got from that. You know, I mean, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. If this dog has a beard, my, it's a it's a shepadoodle, so it's got a lot of curly hair and has a big beard, kind of like you. Shepadoodle. Yeah, huh. mom's a German shepherd, dad's a golden doodle, so it's a hypoallergenic, non-shedding dog works for me who has slight dog allergies and three dogs. So, uh, big beard like you, dunks her face in the water, and then lays her beard on my lap routinely. Oh, that sounds nice. That, that sounds nice. I am a dog person. I have a miniature Australian Shepherd that is 12 years old. I couldn't put him in a closet. He wouldn't know where he is anymore. Poor guy. He He's making it, though. He's making it. All right. So beyond my treatment of dogs in the closet, and by closet, I mean I locked it behind the baby gate upstairs, guys. Don't come at me, PETA or dog lovers. I love my dogs. They just get locked upstairs so they don't eat the dog food directly behind me mid-podcast. And so now we have effectively made it almost as long as Kent does, just beating around the bush. So now we're going to jump in. Craig, you tell me, what is the first thing that caught your eye when you threw on your first couple Spags games? Um, what, the first thing that I, that caught my eye when I threw on Spags was zone turns from corners. I, I have watched a lot of Bob Sutton defense in the past Several years. Again, I, I, I've been writing about the Chiefs defense from 2009. I, I've caught plenty of Bob Sutton defense. Bob likes to play man, and he likes to play a fair amount of man. And so I'm used to seeing corners with their backs to the ball, immediately with man turns towards the boundary, trying to, you know, trying to body guys to the boundary. When you put on Spagnolo, you've got guys that are looking into the backfield, reading the second receiver for match coverages, and opening their hips with their backside toward the boundary, kind of keeping everything in front of them, and then reading the number one wide receiver out of their periphery while reading the quarterback. It, it just sticks out in a big, bad way. That That's going to be something. We're, we're going to cover technique, cornerback technique, so a lot of these you know examples can be demonstrated and seen by lots of people but it does jump off the screen after multiple multiple years of watching bob sutton play man defense yeah so is this something that you're kind of seeing from all the corners are we thinking just outside corners here um i mean I know we're going to get into technique later on but right. when you're just kind of watching this this first catches your eye are you seeing the same techniques employed from you know the boundary side of the field the field side slot corners Mostly just the boundary corners and that the 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 slot corners and the apexes that includes like your weak side linebacker that may be kicking out on a tight end or running back out wide. Spagnuolo plays a lot of match zone, a lot of match zone, and so does Dave Merritt. I've watched a fair amount of Dave Merritt, as I know you did when you watched a little bit of Patrick Peterson there. Uh, it's shuffle bail. Never seen. The never-seen Patrick Peterson clips stored away on a computer in a dark, dark, dark folder. Hey, hey, keep those. Never delete your drafts, Maddie. It paid off for me and Brashad Breland this year. But, I mean, it's a lot of shuffle bail. It's a lot of turning, keeping your body to the sideline, your backside to the sideline, and shuffling while turning and being able to carry velocity upfield against 
vertical routes, and it allows you to keep your eyes on the quarterback. So you know where the ball is. That that's what that's what Spagnolo preaches. It's reading routes. It's not necessarily spot dropping to one spot and do and you know just holding on to one spot. You're reading routes. You're reading route combinations, and you're trying to rob them. You're trying to prevent easy opportunities for guys to get open. And again, I know Bob Sutton defense guys that have been watching this for a little while. That that's going to be rough for you to see, but it's going to be nice. Like it's really going to be nice. Yeah, and I'm with you there. It definitely jumps out how early on you just start watching the Giants or, I mean, you can even go as far back to the first stint with the Giants or a little bit with the Rams. You're not going to get a ton of man coverage from Steve Spagnuolo. And when you do, it's very situational. There's a reason you're getting it. It's not Mm -hmm. running man just to get man coverage. So you watch these corners, and I know a lot of Chiefs fans didn't like the Bob Sutton zone where there was 12 yards of cushion into (laughs) a direct back pedal off the snap. That's not really what you're getting here. You're going to get a lot more guys staying in the pocket. You're going to get players playing closer to the line of scrimmage, even though they're still in zone. They're reading through the inside receiver to the quarterback. They're keeping their eyes on more than one position, and they're not just dropping for depth. They are actively trying to take certain stuff away, depending on the coverage. So it's just it's a lot more dynamic of a coverage for me from what I was seeing. That's what I really like. It's not so predictable, and when they do run zone, they're not playing reactive as much as we saw with the Chiefs under Bob Sutton in zone. And the other thing to look out for, when Spagnuolo does play man, it's not like a hard press. It's not what you may be thinking of a press. Guys that are right up there on the line of scrimmage trying to land giant blows into receivers' chest plates and everything like that. It's more of a soft press, and it's a patient one. Uh, A very, very patient footwork. very, it pays dividends for guys like Kendall Fuller, guys like Bashad Breeland, like they Mark kind of Fields, fe- like Mark Fields. They kind of feather their footwork and they don't commit. You don't jump I'm, unless you're Mark Fields and you have this permanent hop in your in your technique for some reason. But you you keep patient feet and you don't react until the receiver has committed to his route and to his route stem, then you turn and run with it. But it's still from like a two to three yard position. So it's not like they're giving up a ton of space. It's not seven yards where an underneath slant is going to pay for it. When they see the slant, they can still stay in phase with the receiver. But it is a situation where they can they can kind of force the receiver to make the move first. And and Sam Madison was very good at that. I, I went back and I actually watched some Sam Madison tape from way back in the day. Yeah, oh, I'm pulling Well, yeah, you recorded deep. that all. You recorded his entire career on your VHS tape. So It's boy. true. It's true. I just, I just popped him in in my VCR, watched a little bit of Sam Madison. But Sam Madison was very good at staying patient with his feet and staying patient with his coverage, reading the receiver stem. I think that, that he's going to pay – a lot of, I know I keep saying pay dividends, but he, he's going to really benefit this team quite a bit because of his ability to translate the terminology and teach some of these guys how to stay patient. Yeah, no, I'm fully with you there. I think the way the cornerbacks play is going to be entirely different. You're getting different transitions from these corners. You're getting guys that are playing some half-turn technique to stay in better position to a drive on the ball underneath. There's, there's a bigger emphasis on ball skills right now, and not just the from the player by player basis but just on the overall scheme so i'm excited for that i can't wait till we get a little bit deeper into cornerback play later on now for me 
the first thing that caught my eye, because we spent a lot of time this offseason talking about how, no, D Ford can play the Leo in a 4-3 over or under. Right. We, we were the worst about this. We we should have done a little bit more digging before we started talking about this. We, we, will, we well, will admit that. To, to be fair, to be fair, we got hit with that in the middle of the Senior Bowl while we were covering the Senior Bowl, while we were doing draft coverage. We looked at a few games and... We went, oh, yeah, D4 can play in a 4-3 under, which he can and will in San Francisco. However, that is true. <laughs> and however, to, yes, to be fair, Olivier Vernon, for the couple games we did see, was doing a lot of standing and a lot of playing pretty wide. Yeah. So we, we get it why we missed that and why we talked about it, and I agree. I think your traditional 4-3 under over, if you were going to establish a player as the Leo, as the weak side defensive end and let him play from wide, D Ford is absolutely fine at that. That is absolutely positively not what Steve Spagnola does with his defensive <laughs> ends. It couldn't be farther yep. from the truth on how these defensive ends play. Yeah, on passing downs, you're going to get some nine technique. You're going to get some seven technique, which is just wider splits. But on base downs and even just second down plays, you're often going to have at least one of these defensive ends playing five tech, probably seven tech over a tight end as well. You're getting these guys in tight. They are playing through blockers routinely, consistently, over and over again. Not only are they asked to set an edge, they're being asked to win with power and not just speed around the edge. This is a staple. I'm going through some film from 2016-17. Jason Pierre-Paul, Olivier Vernon. These guys aren't switching sides. No matter what they do, they kind of stay on their set sides. They'll jump inside or something, but they're playing left defensive end, right defensive end. Strangely, they flip-flop from one game to the next. I haven't quite figured that out yet. Maybe it's matchup dependent. But these guys are stuck on their side. Fine, no problem. But that means you have to play some strong defensive end, some weak defensive end. And simply, these guys are asked to hold up versus the run and rush the passer with power and speed. I just don't think D. Ford, and I'm not even sure Justin Houston at this point in his career, was going to hold up in that regard. So we can get into the Frank Clark versus D Ford versus Justin Houston stuff a different day in terms of talent. But for what we're going to ask, Frank Clark has done this. He did this in Seattle. He is the perfect fit. Alex Okafor, perfect fit. Emmanuel Ogba, perfect fit. These, this is how these guys play. And it's just, it was crazy to me once you start watching how different the defensive ends are being treated for Spagnola than what I think everyone's conception of was it going in when they first look up their first diagram of a 4-3 under or over and see this guy split way outside. You're like, nah, give me speed there. But that's not what you're going to see the majority of the time. Right. And I I definitely uh, shoulder a fair amount of the blame. I... I wrote the positional fit for three under article uh, the night after day two of the senior bowl. And yeah, if you look at a four, three under a base, you know, a traditional four, three under defense, your Leo is your lighter speed rusher in that situation. That's, that's D Ford, but it's not in Spagnuolo. Like, like Matt said, you've got these guys we talked a lot this offseason about Steve Spagnuolo's type. You know, wanting longer, stronger defensive ends. You look at defensive tackles, you know, three techs, five techs. They tend to be longer, stronger players. That That's why it makes so much sense. It's also a harder thing to find. Having guys that can kick inside and play that position 
as well as being able to line up on the outside and beat guys around the corner, it's harder to find. That's why you don't traditionally find speed rushers out at that because the speed rushers tend to be lighter. They tend to be guys that can corner a little better. Not that Frank Clark or Alex Okafor can't, but it's not what they're best at. They win with power. They win by collapsing. They win through the tackle more regularly than winning around the edge. So that's why it makes more sense. Guys that are going to line up as a four-eye or a five-tech and still be able to handle their run responsibilities. I love D. Ford. Matt loves D. Ford. D. Ford lining up as a four-eye is a bad, bad, bad decision. He's just going to get squashed in the run game in that situation. He can set the edge on the outside against a tight end just fine, but if you're asking him to line up, a little bit inside shade on a tackle, he's just going to get smushed. That You don't give him the space to work and do what he needs to do best. Frank Clark can do that. Ogba Okafor can do that. Yeah, and it's even more so, I think if you want to put D Ford out as your weak defensive end and a 4-3 under over and let him hold the C gap, the outside gap, hold contain, I think he can handle that at this point in his career. But once you put him in tight to that tackle... I don't know if you could stop an offensive tackle from getting their hands on D Ford and then being able to turn him if he's lined up tight. If they don't have to go out to contact him, I think it's going to be hard for him to hold that gap and then not even just hold it, but beat that player consistently. So, I mean, that's where you get the big Frank Clark fit over a D Ford. And I'm so glad we are kind of talking about defensive line alignment and technique here because we're just going to go ahead and move on to the defensive line general techniques, alignment, stuff like that, and not just our defensive ends because we've talked about that a little bit. But Mm -hmm. Steve Spagnuolo's rotation here is a guy, he's going to have a nose tackle on the field for his rundowns. He's going to put a guy over the center, most likely in the one technique in between the guard and the center. He's going to have a three technique, and he'll flip-flop the sides there. That's kind of where you're getting your over-under difference. Depending on the formation he's seeing, he's going to have these guys out there. You're getting a three-tech, a one-tech. And then when you get into pass rush downs, these defensive tackles most often become defensive ends, rotational defensive ends. You get your third defensive end, your fourth defensive end on the field. You get four pass rushers, like four outside pass rushers on the field so often from him. It's one of the biggest things that people want to talk about with Spagnola, and it does. It happens a ton when you start watching the film. Yeah, it does. I, it, they, they go, quote-unquote, light. I, that that often you you don't necessarily have those big guys on the field a lot and it allows them to be able to mix and match and the fun part will be some of these guys will drop and some of these linebackers will blitz and some of the safeties will blitz and you just never know what you're going to get there and part of having those guys that can play all over that defensive line is being able to use them in that way being able to line up with three down linemen and not knowing where those guys are going to come at you, where those guys are going to rush from, that that's going to be the benefit there. I know people are cringing right now thinking of Bob Sutton's three-man rush here. This isn't dropping Justin Houston and D4. This is still Frank Clark and Alex Okafor coming off the edge with maybe Chris Jones coming from a one-tech. That's still a good three-man rush that can get home. It's not asking Alan Bailey and Derek Nottie to carry their weight in the pass rush in that situation no absolutely i'm just going to kind of brush over some kind of defensive line trends that i was seeing here so on your base downs you have your base four starters like i said you got your two defensive ends your one tech your three tech those are defensive tackles as you start working into the nickel 
that honestly stays about the same. Like your defensive ends, your starting defensive ends are playing the majority of the snaps at defensive end. You will have a main backup defensive end that's a pass rusher. He plays on the outside. He's usually going to come in for a whole series. So that's either Braylon Speaks, Alex Okafor, or not Alex Okafor. I think we think he's a starter or Emmanuel Ogba right now. Those are your that's your third defensive end. Mm-hmm. Then once you start getting into in second and long, the nickel stuff like that, you start getting your next defensive end, your fourth one, playing defensive tackle. This is where I think Breland Speaks is going to fit in perfectly, even before these pictures that came out earlier this week. <laughs> this is where he always fit the best to me. He takes over your defensive tackle, your nose tackle's role as that third down pass rusher. And then you have two defense, or you have Chris Jones, a defensive end of some sort playing inside, your two defensive ends on the outside. But your rotation along the defensive line isn't that deep. They just move guys all around. So you maybe get four defensive ends that get snaps and maybe three defensive tackles on a good day. I mean, it's cell seven. That's a strong rotation, but it's not huge. Mm -hmm. Like I think some people think it's going to be, and it really is dependent on down and distance and stuff like that. He's not just putting guys in to put them in. Right. And one of the things that that I had mentioned in our earlier podcast this week, and now I got stats in front of me, um, Damon Harrison, Snacks Harrison, uh, nose tackle for Steve Spagnuolo in 2016 was third on the team in tackles. It went Landon Collins, Jonathan Casillas, and then Snacks with 86 tackles. That's 86 tackles from your nose tackle with their defensive line rotation. He was a monster. 72 in 2015, 76 in 2017. Jonathan Hankins played three tech and had 51, 30, 43, 44, you know, significantly less than their one tech. And part of that's because Snacks had to play three-tech sometimes. They shifted around. Hankins is big. Hankins is 325. He is not a small dude. He is nose tackle weight. Chris Jones is actually going to be one of the smaller defensive linemen that Steve Spagnolo has played with, with you know, in recent history here. He likes to go big because that can shift and move around, and you can have those guys line up at multiple stops, stop spots and still be effective and that the tackle numbers show that i mean that's that's ludicrous yeah no and i'm glad you mentioned that because on first down steve spagnola and it starts the defensive line he's setting out to stop the run he still has i mean he's not an old school coach necessarily but he has that old school mentality that you have to stop the run first he will employ bigger personnel like you said he'll play snacks as a three tech if he needs to put that shift on based on the formation and put his three tech mm-hmm. at the one tech, but he's going to put big bodies out there. That's where you get the big, long, strong defensive ends. You have a true one technique nose tackle. You have your three tech that can play against the run and the pass. And as we move on to linebackers here, you get the same thing at the linebacker group. We talked about it last week a little bit. We're going to dive in a little bit more now. And these base downs, these four three downs, and these four three downs, uh, you're going to get him, uh, you get a middle linebacker that is a run stuffer, a stuffer. He's a plugger. He comes up, he stops the run. Then he comes off the field for the nickel. You have a will mm-hmm. that's usually a little bit bigger, not the best in coverage. And then you have your Sam linebacker playing on the strong side. You have all these guys in on first down because Spags is after stopping the run first. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) 
That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody. So we're talking big linebackers. We're talking stopping the run, first down. Craig, are you kind of seeing the same thing when you're working through there as I am here with these bigger linebackers on first down? Absolutely. And it's a little bit why we kind of walk walk back some of our uh, comments that we'd made about Anthony Hitchens playing Will. because, And we get a lot of these questions. I, I, I got to see a lot more of them this week asking for them for the Q&A about the Sam linebacker about the Will linebacker, you know, specifically about Anthony Hitchens playing Will and how often the Sam was going to be on here. It's 20 to 25% of the snaps that we're talking about, these linebackers that we're about to talk about here. So it's not the majority. In this situation, Spagnolo has tended to use a bigger Will linebacker as kind of the guy that stays on the field for all three downs. When they go to the nickel, he stays on the field. So in this situation, he is your quote-unquote coverage linebacker, but more free-flowing and able to flow to the ball a little better. I think this is going to help Anthony Hitchens a little bit. I don't know that it's his best role in this base defense, we may see maybe Darren Lee sneak in there in the base a little more. But I do think that he can fill it better than maybe we initially thought. But it definitely is big Mike linebackers that you're not asking much out of in coverage. More run fills, taking on fullbacks, trying to stack gaps. That That's a Reggie Ragland type. It definitely is a Reggie Ragland type. Meanwhile, the Sam linebacker, you're asking to set an edge, drop into shallow coverages as well, not be very rangy. That's also a Damian Wilson type. I think they got their guys, and I think they've got guys out there that can do that sort of stuff. This fits what Steve Spagnuolo has done in the past in the base defense for sure. No, absolutely. And when we started kind of getting more and more questions about Anthony Hitchens at will, because and we kind of we walked it back a little bit and said, well, actually, he might fit what Steve Spagnuolo is trying to do based on what we're seeing on film. We said that, you know, and some people didn't really like it. And I get why you don't like I don't, it. It's I, not what right. you – Yeah. <laughs> you don't imagine Hitchens thriving in that role. I went back through a couple of the games I've charted. I would say on over 9 out of 10 snaps in this base 4-3 – the will linebacker is lining up at what's going to be called a 30 mm-hmm. alignment or farther inside. So he's lining up as the farthest outside on over about 90% of these snaps. He's lining up in the B gap. He's lining up between 
the offensive guard and the offensive tackle at the absolute farthest outside he's going. He's responsible for A and B gaps in almost all of these run fits. Now, this doesn't mean another player can't make a play on a running back there. It just means that that is the linebacker's gap. If the ball goes there, it is that person's job to fill that gap. Do we really think Darren Lee is running into the A gap yeah. or Darren Lee, Darian, Dorian O'Daniel or Darren Lee are running into this A gap and engaging an offensive guard or a center and having any chance to win? No. I'm not so sure. Anthony Hitchens, on the other hand, can. It's not usually the Will's job in this base defense we're talking about to get to the C gap or an outside long edge gap. If he is, he's scraping with the defensive end, and that gives him a natural advantage, usually running with a quarterback out to that edge. Mm -hmm. So you're really looking at a guy that's playing a lot more of an interior run defense kind of role. Now, I understand the passing game issues. You are a little worried about him having to get out to the flat in that position. But as far as a run defender, you need somebody that has a little bit more pop than a nickel coverage linebacker does the way this system is being run. And the way that they tend to use these guys in coverage out of their base, uh, they they like to roll the Sam linebacker down over a tight end because they're, when they're in the base defense, it's it's not typically against 11 personnel or three wide receivers. You're talking about never. two tight ends. Never, never. Yeah, I, I'm saying usually I'm leaving myself an out just in case somebody finds the one instance there, you know. But it it's usually against... A two tight end single back set or two back set with a single tight end there. So in that situation, you're asking your Sam linebacker to cover the worst quote unquote tight end, and you're asking your strong safety to spin down in the box and cover the better tight end in that situation. And then you're able to kind of use your other two linebackers to match up a little bit better against a running back and they'll be able to do that in some limited capacities. There are situations where Steve Spagnuolo did have good pass-catching running backs coming out of the backfield, and he purposefully went light. It's not Bob Sutton. You're not going to see Reggie Ragland forced into that just because they're in 12 personnel or 21 personnel. He did go light. He would roll Dominique Rogers Cromartie, his slot corner, sometimes on the field in order to cover Theo Riddick, a good pass-catching running back, trying to play matchups in that situation. So it's not going to be a situation where Anthony Hitchens is going to get abused all game long. Spagnuolo knows the weaknesses and the strengths of his players. He's going to use them a lot better than we've seen over the past couple of years. Yeah, and even in that base defense, if there is a running back or a tight end that is being able to take advantage of that weak outside linebacker, you know, your will linebacker here, Mm -hmm. he will put in his nickel linebacker, his Mm -hmm. coverage linebacker in place of, you know, the guy that we're saying is usually the three down guy. There was plenty of times where the coverage linebacker for the Giants was playing on these first downs in the base four three. It's just not the most common. It's kind of an adjustment he'll make. And that kind of brings to the nickel. When the Giants, Steve Spagnola went nickel, two linebackers, not one, two linebackers came off the field, which means a new one has to come on. So what happens is your Will, your Anthony Hitchens, so to speak, is going to slide over and play your Mike in the nickel. He's going to be kind of your middle linebacker taking, calling the shots, and you have this coverage linebacker that's coming in who actually switches sides based on not – he switches the weak and the strong side of the formation based on being opposite of the slot cornerback. 
So he can be on the strong side over the tight end, or he can be on the weak side over nobody. It all depends on the formation of the offense and where the slot corners align. But that's where you're putting your best coverage linebacker because he's kind of playing that underneath curl flat zone to the opposite side of the slot BB. So that's kind of what you're getting in the nickel is you're getting a coverage linebacker that's playing in similar roles, the slot corner on the opposite side of the field. Yes. And, and that's, that's called kind of the apex. Uh, they call those the, the apexes of the defense. A lot of times their responsibility, depending on if it's two read or four read or, you know, whatever the case may be, they will, their responsibilities will shift to being the first guy to take somebody inside or outside or have to carry the number two wide receiver vertically. So you have to have a guy that's good in coverage in that spot. That's where Darren Lee's going to make his bones because he is good in coverage. So he's going to end up matched up against a tight end and having to carry him to two safeties in the back because Steve Spagnolo on those downs likes to use two safeties back there. So you're you're talking about asking him to cover him just limited down the field a little bit to the safety and kind of rob underneath the routes. That's where he's going to pay off dividends. And then Hitchens is in the center of the field, just robbing routes underneath. You're not forcing him to have to cover you know anything real big underneath there occasionally a, t- a running back out in the flat depending on the route combination yeah and you're getting this nickel adjustment pretty much anytime you see 11 or lighter personnel anytime. so anytime there's one tight end <laughs> one back you're getting this nickel package yeah there might be mix and matches where a little bit heavier linebacker will jump out there with mm-hmm. the will or with the Mike three down linebacker, like occasionally, but you're most often going to get this versus any 11 personnel. And you're going to have to play the run out of this too. And so the big difference here is your strong safety is going to have to help play a big role. Your slot nickel DB is going to have to be a force player. They're going to have to control the outside gap, you know, just outside the C gap. You got some DBs that have to play an important role against the run here. Got to be a good tackler. Yes. Got to be a good tackler. Absolutely got to be a good tackler. And this is where you're bigger stronger defensive linemen, your defensive ends that can win through a tackle from these tight alignments and make a huge difference because you no longer have all these big bodied linebackers behind you to save you if you get beat. If you get driven out of the play, it's a problem because now Darren Lee's taking on a block because that's what's coming through your gap. This is why you need these big, strong defensive ends that can beat their tackle and hold the gap at the point of attack. So yeah, nickel versus the run, you get a lot of DBs. So what do you see from the strong safety coming down to play against the run here in this nickel formation against, let's say, 11 personnel? Yeah, uh, typically it comes down to the the strong side. Uh, it depends. They'll they'll follow the, the tight end around a little bit. And he typically, on early downs, if it's 11 personnel, he will tend to go, Spagnuolo will tend to go single high safety. And he'll keep the the strong safety in the box he'll keep him kind of up close depending on the spacing on there if everybody's bunched up tight the strong safety will give seven yards but if they're spaced out if you know you're seeing a tight end detached from the line of scrimmage and out there kind of in the slot the strong safety will play press coverage from that that's where honey badger and Juan thornhill will come into play a lot there guys that can man cover out of that guys that can carry them all over the field as the number three from that side they'll be asked to do a lot of that so they they'll have to do a lot of that on early downs now in later downs 
against the nickel. You see a lot more split safeties, two deep safeties, and guys that are trying to stay over the top of routes. And that's when you start to see, you know, a lot more cover four defense. And you have both of those both of those safeties that have about 10 yards of space off the line of scrimmage, and they may still have responsibility for the number three option for that, even 10 yards off, but they have so many players clogging the zones underneath that they can rob the routes until it carries to that safety, and they just stay over the top of those guys. That That's where those safeties are going to shift. So you'll see a lot of you know, a lot of two deep safety, split safety looks, and then on early downs, you'll see some single high looks as well. Yeah, and I think that's a big misconception you're kind of touching on a little bit there, that quarters coverage is a very passive, prevent-type defense. Oh, like, it's not. When you think no. cover four, no. a lot of people, yeah, they think you're old Madden 1998, you know, cover four oh. defense, your prevent defense. And you'll, you'll see that on third and 25. Like, I mean, that that's <laughs> when you see it, is on third and forever and another forever on top of it. Right, but the great match quarters guru, Cody Alexander, has said it the best. Quarters coverage, it's more of a robber coverage mm-hmm. than anything mm-hmm. else. Because when a guy, when one of these deep safeties isn't getting pressed deep, when they're not being pressed vertical, they're not just running vertical to run vertical and be no. 20 yards down the field. They're robbing another play. Like It is more of a robber coverage, a trap coverage, than it is anything else. It just has the same cover four fits into the quarters kind of realm and it makes people think that it's this passive coverage where safeties and corners are just getting depth without doing anything else and that's so not what it is you're going to get aggressive safety play you're going to get safeties driving on underneath routes you're going to get safeties and corners passing routes off deep downfield trying to you know squeeze them to the line of scrimmage trying to squeeze underneath post routes you're going to get all sorts of stuff from this it's going to be aggressive and yeah early in the season there might be some open guys because players get a little confused on assignments as they get used to each other but this isn't like i said this madden play where guys are dropping 20 yards deep <laughs> they're challenging everything and these safeties that the chiefs have right now juan thornhill tyron matthew they are going to challenge anything and everything they can possibly get to given their play style. And I think that's what makes them such a great fit for Steve Spagnuolo. Absolutely. And it, like, like you said, it sometimes they have to stay on top of the route. Sometimes they're robbing it underneath. It just depends on the coverage call. There are times where the cornerback needs to be the deepest guy in coverage as the receiver runs the route. The safety will actually undercut the route and have to run underneath that, you know, taking over for a linebacker that's maybe doing that. So it's going to be more of a situation where the safeties are going to be adapting from play to play and lining up at 10 yards they maybe get about 15 yards on their pedal before they have to turn and and go. This is not Bob Sutton. This is not Eric Berry lining up 25 yards deep and standing flat-footed or even pedaling. Who knows? But they have run-fit responsibilities from 10 yards deep. They are required to get in there. They are asked to collapse and be forced defenders, especially from those deep positions, he will ask a lot of them. They will have to do that a lot, especially you know, even when they're not in the box, because there's plenty of those looks as well. But it's not going to be passive. They're going to be very aggressive with both of those guys. No, yeah. And like you said, they're sitting 10, 12 yards deep, and then they kind of have what I kind of learned is a step replace thing, which is yes. taking you three steps, which is usually about to 15 yards, mm-hmm. where you're just kind of a side shuffle, uh, kind of at a diagonal angle. And during that time, you're reading what's in front of you. If you have to climb vertical, 
you start going to a backpedal and stay atop of stuff. If you get to come back down or flatten out, you're now robbing, but you don't get deeper than 15 yards. Mm. Or then you have guys that spin down, step down, whatever you want to call it, depending on the formation that you're against. You might even be walking forward at the snap, getting in even tighter. And you can still turn and carry something deep if you have to, but you're usually going to do that if you don't expect the number two receiver to be vertical and to be your immediate responsibility. So this isn't something that you can just decide on going up to the line of scrimmage. You're not going to get plays like Tom Brady with the New England Patriots saying, yeah, no, we knew what they were going to do. We have these little slight routes over and over again across the middle. It's going to be adjusted for. So that's kind of how some safeties are going to work in. What do we think about our cornerbacks? How do we think they're going to fit into this kind of system and the technique we were talking about at the top of this podcast here? Well, I think that we we all kind of – we like what Kendall Fuller can bring. We've seen – Kendall Fuller bring good things if anybody watched his tape at Washington they they knew that he was a guy that is a playmaker he's a good corner from the slot that should continue in this scheme uh Steve Spagnuolo is not going to try and ask him to body up and try and press a bigger receiver he's also not going to ask him to have to carry a bigger faster receiver you know, 40 yards down the field on a vertical route with a safety that can't get over the top of it. He's going to get a lot more help. His responsibilities are going to be more with his eyes in the backfield as his own corner. That's where he's best. And that's what he's best with doing. And his footwork, his ability to mirror out of the slot, the patience that we talked about earlier, that sort of feather technique is going to be very important. Here's the other thing. You you talked about step replace. Stepper place is something that allows you to keep your feet very close to the ground and allows you to plant quickly. That's that's you're 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 not you're not leaving the ground very much. It's very low contact so that if you see a route break, if you see something happening underneath, you can plant and drive on it quickly. Or if somebody's carrying it vertically, you're able to flip and turn on a dime. It's not big strides, it's very small sort of shuffle strides with the ability to drive and break on things easily. Bashad Breland's good at it. Bashad Breland can do that as well. It remains to be seen a little bit with Charvarius Ward. He's a longer press guy. We'll see. I think he's got the speed to do it, but we didn't see a ton of it last year with Bob. So as far as that technique goes, we, we still need to see that out of him. Yeah, and I think Ward's the guy that intrigues me the most with this because we've been talking about it a little bit. He's going to get some press coverage, and he's not going to be asked to necessarily beat a receiver up off the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. He's going to be asked to press, maybe disrupt him a little bit, but he's still mostly trying to match what the receiver's doing. And I almost think that that's how he wants to play. I don't think he ever tried to rock receivers off the line of scrimmage nah. and just completely own them. He just wanted to disrupt them a little bit. He wanted to feel them and stay with them. So I'm interested to see how he's going to pull us off. If he can get these kind of side shuffle techniques where he's able to watch the quarterback or the ball and keep track of his receiver, he's the guy that's got the length, the size, and the speed to play in this vertical one-fourth of the field really, really well. He just has to get comfortable playing with his back to the receiver sometimes Mm -hmm. or sometimes where he's going to have to peel off of something and make another move, a quick mental decision. And it's just stuff we haven't seen him get challenged on yet. But I really like his fit. I am a little concerned about Bashad Breland playing on the outside here. He was moved inside for Green Bay. Uh-huh. He seems to have his best seasons, according to like pro football focus grades, when he's playing in the slot. So it's just going to be interesting to see how he deals with size and athleticism out on the boundary a little bit more often. 
But, I mean, I'm, it can't be worse than last year, and I don't <laughs> think that he's a bad fit for the system. I'm just interested to see him play out on the boundary. Yeah, and a lot of this is keeping guys in your periphery when you're doing these zone turns. You, you've got to keep the receiver in your peripheral vision while looking down the second receiver in into the quarterback. It, it's a lot of manipulation and route feel. We talk a lot about, from a pattern match standpoint, how you have to have good route understanding and good route feel. Part of that is reading what the number two receiver is doing and recognizing what the various route combinations that you saw on tape are going to come from the number one receiver. We just haven't seen that out of Jarvarius Ward. And we've seen a little bit of blown coverages on things that Bashad Breeland guessed at a little bit. So there are question marks as you know, on the outside, but from a technique standpoint, I believe Bashad Brilliant is able to do it from a match standpoint and understanding all of the route distributions, Charvarius Ward and Bashad Breland have some question marks there, but again, they, they've got Dave Merritt. Dave Merritt did a really good job with those corners in, in Arizona and particularly with those safeties. So we'll see how that goes, but I think that they've got at least a good structure to learn. Yeah, and then one more guy, and I feel like we've probably slided him a little bit this offseason, especially lately, as new guys come in, and we just kind of think that these other positions are going to get overshadowed with the schematic overhaul. Chris Jones. Chris Jones is going to be hands down the best three-tech that Steve Spagnuolo's had ever. ever. Like, it's not even close. Like, I, Jonathan Hankins is a very good player, and he was very good for the Giants when he was there. He doesn't compare anything to Chris Jones as a pass rusher, as an explosive player. He's not on the same stratosphere. He is by far the best. He's also smaller than what he's mm-hmm. usually gotten out of a three-tech. So it's just going to be interesting to see how he's used. I think when you set him up, especially with an undershift, he is going to be in such a perfect position oh to make goodness. a ton yeah. of damage. You get him and Frank Clark or even Alex Okafor on the same side, just two guys, good luck getting the help over to them if you can get <laughs> your nose tackle to occupy a center to stop those two guys from just running through that side of the offensive line. Like This is something I'm very excited for because you just haven't seen it from Spags before. He gets his interior pressure by using rotational defensive ends and stunts, twists, blitzes. He doesn't do it based on just a three-text pure ability, usually, and now he has that on this team. That's probably the best defensive player on this team. It's not even that close, I don't think. I think some people think Frank Clark's close. I'm one of them guys, but Chris Jones is a stud. What do we have now? Like, What are we expecting from Chris Jones this year with this new system? I big like last year was the start maybe I mean it he's gonna get schemed so many good looks and here here's the funny part you said that you know uh, Spagnuolo likes to use twist stunts and everything like that to create pressure but he hasn't had a player like Chris Jones guess what Chris Jones is really good at all the twists and the stunts as well like he's excellent at being that looping guy he's excellent at being the setup man as well he can do all of that so not only is he going to get put into advantageous one-on-one positions in this under shift he also is going to get much better looks at the quarterback through twists through stunts like i i think that chris jones's ceiling is sky freaking high i know that he's not here in otas right now I would no be cares. no, no, nobody should care. He's going to get paid, and hopefully this off season, and everybody's going to cringe at that price tag when it happens. We're going to get three quarters of the way through this season. You won't be cringing anymore. 
Right. And it's kind of in the back of my mind that maybe, maybe Steve Spagnuolo doesn't see him as a necessity to the way his defense works. Mm. But I think Chris Jones is so good. And I think Steve Spagnuolo is going to be able to see that very quickly. That he's going to be like, all right, this may not be a necessity for my defense, but this is going to make my defense so much better. Yes. And I think that's what we're going to get. And here's the thing. We've talked about it a little bit before. Chris Jones, Steve Spagnuolo is going to flip defensive ends, defensive tackles around. Chris Jones can gladly play defensive end. He can rush from the outside. No problem. He can beat an offensive tackle around the corner. Like This is the perfect defense for him right now. And if he doesn't have a fantastic year in terms of impact, I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked. He's going to get the absolute best uh, coaching that he ever has. Chris Jones is going to be Coach the hell out of him by Brendan Daly. He's going to learn so much about himself. He's going to develop as a player on top of being put in these great positions. I don't see how there's any way that Chris Jones is not a success in this defense. I just don't. No, absolutely. And we thank you guys for joining us. Like I said, this is our introduction to the Summer of Spag series. We're just getting started here. This is the basic introduction. Don't worry. There's going to be plenty more information to go. Please tell us if you enjoyed it. Leave us these five-star reviews. I'm supposed to lead the podcast off with this, and I guarantee you <laughs> Kent's going to hit me with this when he gets back, critiquing me about not hitting off the five stars at the top. I'll tell you what, if you guys like this summer of Spag stuff, learning about Spag's defense, give us a five-star review and just hashtag it, comment in there, summer of Spag, so we can stick it to Kent, who's tweeting on a cruise. And you got any parting thoughts for us, Craig? I, I'm looking forward to getting this stuff out here. Our goal with this this summer is to give you guys a good foundation to to watch Spagnolo's defense with. We're not saying that this is exactly what it's going to be because there will be some tweaks. There will be some, some modifiers that happen with all this stuff. But going over Spagnolo's defense with all these assistants, breaking down all their stuff as well, we want to give you guys... A, a little more knowledgeable eye to be able to watch the game with that. That's what it's about. It's it's so that everybody can kind of tune into the game and understand some of the why behind what it's happening. Cause that makes us all better. It allows us all to talk about things from a little bit higher place of knowledge. And that's more fun for everybody. No, absolutely. And that's, that's where it all starts. I've been excited all off season to learn about a new defensive scheme. I'm glad to bring this to you guys. I don't even necessarily think I'm telling you guys that I'm the best place to learn this from, that Craig's the best place to learn this from. Oh, I'm not. I can tell you I'm not. But we're doing our best, and we think we're doing a pretty good job of giving you guys a good understanding of what the Chiefs are going to be trying to do on the defense, why they're making some moves and doing some making some decisions that they are, and you have to start by learning what the goal is. And as you start to think about it, all their moves so far make sense for what we're seeing on the film here. So that's why we're trying to bring it to you guys so we can get a little bit just better understanding of what the Chiefs might be doing. But like always, thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate all the feedback and everything we get from you guys. We'll catch you next week on the Flippity Flip, as we like to say around here. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So brainstorm got too big summarize with ai in a click writer's block release with canva magic right magical stress less and save time at canva.com designed for work